Well, you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 18 to 21 this morning. Well, the other day, I took my kids to the park, and they wanted to fly our kite. So I got the kite ready, little $2 kite. We got it, not the dollar store, but something close to it. It's a great little kite. Got the kite ready, we walked to the park, and I put the poles in. It has a long tail. The kids love to chase it as it's zigzagging through the air. And so, put the poles into the kite, unravel the long string, probably about a 100 feet of string. Just unraveling, unraveling. I have Joelle, my oldest, my daughter, at the end. She's holding the kite, and on my command, her job is to throw it in the air. And so Joelle's all excited. She's holding the kite. I've unraveled the, the string. And I say, all right, Joe, I'm ready. Throw it up. And she throws it up, and it comes right back down. All right, let's try again. Joelle, grab it again. Okay, get ready. I'm make sure the cord, the, the string is taut. And she throws it up, and it comes right back down to the ground. Now, what was the problem? The problem was actually (laughs) pretty obvious, really simple. There was no wind. Can't fly a kite without wind. Isn't that obvious? Shouldn't I have figured that out before I brought the kite out to the park in the first place? It doesn't work without wind. Now, Christian, you're here today, believer in Christ. Understand this. The Christian walk will not work without being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like asking a glove to move without the hand to fill it. It's like trying to sail without wind in the sails. It's similar to trying to drive a car without gas. It it just does not work. Now, the problem in your Christian walk, the common denominator most likely is that you are not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5 tells us there's the other option, which is being led by the flesh. And Ephesians 5.16 says, Be filled with the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So think about all the fleshly reactions in your life, your fleshly words, your fleshly actions. They're not motivated by the Spirit, and don't they cause problems in your life? Well, to not have those problems in your Christian walk, you have the alternative, which is walking by the Spirit, being filled, which our text tells tells us today, being filled by the Holy Spirit. This command is so important to your Christian life. It is the foundation, I, I believe, that other commands build upon. This is the foundation of a healthy marriage. Those of you who are married, spouses. This is the foundation of healthy relationships and friendships. This really is the key that unlocks the rest of Ephesians. We'll see that as we come in the following weeks. Without this command, other commands in your life will become burdensome. Your Christian life will become loathsome. You'll you'll burn out without the power and stimulation of the Holy Spirit. Without being filled with the Holy Spirit, you're more susceptible to legalism. You're more susceptible to self-righteousness, thinking you could do it on your own, and 
And that leads to a superficial Christianity. But do you want to walk with the Lord? Do you want to walk and live out your faith in a way that honors Christ? Then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Apply this command today. Let's look at the text. Ephesians 5, 18 to 21 says this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me pray. Father, we know by your word that every single one of us who is in Christ has the Holy Spirit within us. God, we have the ability to live out the Christian life dependent upon the Holy Spirit, Lord. So the question is, why don't we? We often, Lord, often are led by our passions. We're often led by the flesh, led by sinful desires. God, we ask that you would help us to be led by your spirit, to be spirit-controlled, to be spirit-filled, so that we would not give in to the desires of the flesh, Lord, so that we could honor you in everything that we do in our life. Help us in that endeavor this week and moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Point number one, really the emphasis and thrust of this passage is in verse 18. The point is this, be spirit-controlled, not substance-controlled. Be spirit-controlled, not substance-controlled. You see the two commands there in verse 18? Interesting that the Apostle Paul puts these two together. On the one hand, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. On the other hand, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We ought to note that in our mind. It's interesting that he makes that correlation, that comparison. How are they similar? How are they different? These are the questions we need to ask of the text. We, we start with the negative command. Do not get drunk with wine. Drunkenness is clearly sin. This isn't the first passage in the Bible that tells us that. You go all the way back to the Proverbs, and it talks about the foolishness of the drunkard in Proverbs 23 and so on. You have... Uh, obviously, in the New Testament, you have the qualifications for an elder, a leader in the church, qualifications for deacons. They are not to be drunkards, not to be addicted to wine. And then this text tells us so clearly, it's plain as day, do not get drunk with wine. And so drunkenness is sin. And understanding drunkenness, though, and debauchery helps us to understand what it means to be filled with by the Spirit. They're somehow correlated, similar, yet also very different, even opposite. So let's start with the negative. Do not get drunk with wine. What it is it, or what is it to be drunk? The word could also be translated intoxicated, in the Greek literally meaning to be soaked, to be soaked with wine. And this word was used figuratively in the Greek world, for someone who's losing control of their mind and senses to a passion. We use it in the same way, by the way. When we say that someone is drunk in love, 
we mean that they've lost control of their senses and they've been given over to romance. When we say somebody is drunk in greed, it means that they've lost reason, they've lost their senses, and they're given over to a strong passion and desire for money. So drunkenness is losing control to a substance, surrendering control to a substance. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, who was a professional doctor who turned preacher, by the way, he writes this in his commentary. He says, strong drink is not a stimulus. It is a depressant. It depresses, first and foremost, the highest centers of the brain. These centers control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, and balance. Again, put simply, drunkenness is surrendering control to a substance. Now, the surrendering control part, that is where the similarity stops, okay, between being filled with the Spirit and drunkenness. So we, we can note something there. Drunkenness is surrendering control. It is similar to how we surrender control to the Holy Spirit. But that is where the similarity stops <laughs> because after that, it's all contrast. It's all different. In drunkenness, you surrender control to a substance being filled with the Spirit, you surrender control to a person, the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm using the word substance here strategically because alcohol, as we all know, is not the only substance that people struggle with or that people are given over to. I believe this verse and this principle applies to all other substances, all other substances in which you surrender control to that thing for temporary pleasure, temporary relief, happiness, etc., and so on. And you're not surrendering control to the Spirit. Now, there's a big word here in the text. Do you see the word debauchery? What does that mean? What does debauchery mean? That sounds bad, doesn't it? It is bad. The prodigal son was convicted of this crime. We see in Luke 15, 13, it says this, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. That word reckless living is the word debauchery. Same word. So the word debauchery carries this idea of squandering, being wasteful, being reckless with your resources and with the gifts that God has given you. You know that in 1 Peter chapter 4, Drunkenness isn't the only sin of debauchery. There are other sins included in the debauchery bundle, if you will. <laughs> you have sins of sexual immorality. You have drunkenness, obviously. You have, you have gambling, recklessly and squandering your, your resources. Those kinds of sin are sins of debauchery. It's you're squandering something. With sexual immorality, you're squandering God's gift of sex meant and intended for marriage, and you're, you're wasting it on other pleasures and passions. With, with greed, you're squandering the gift of money, the resources that you have, and you're, you're wasting it with reckless living. Drunkenness, you're squandering your mind. You're squandering control of your body, and you're being reckless and wasting it. That is what debauchery means. And, and you know, as well as I do, that the sins of debauchery often lead to destruction. These are the types of people that when they come to an end of themselves, we often see them laying on the side of the street. 
We often see these people making a mess of their life, mess of relationships, mess of their finances, mess of their body. It's physically destructive. This is what debauchery does. This is the capacity of sin and how it plays out. So do not surrender control to a substance. Do not give away those gifts that God has given you and squander them. But, but, look back at the text. There's a strong contrast here. Be filled with the Spirit. So the negative and the positive commands in view. If drunkenness is yielding control to the substance, then being filled with the Spirit is yielding control to the Spirit. If drunkenness depresses the mind, emotions, and will, the Spirit stimulates the mind, the emotions, and the will toward godliness. If drunkenness leads to debauchery, and debauchery often leads to death, then being Spirit-filled leads to righteous living, which leads to life. While drunkenness provides a, a fraudulent and temporary satisfaction, it is a short relief short period of happiness, being spirit-filled provides, listen to me, believer, a genuine, everlasting, and eternal satisfaction. How are you going to live? By the substance? By your passions? By your flesh? Or by the Holy Spirit? This is the crux of the Christian life. To yield, to surrender, to live, to walk every moment of every day, stimulated, controlled, and empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, and nothing else. That's how we ought to live our Christian life. And if you do that, watch this command change your marriage, watch it change your parenting. The way you talk to your kids. Watch it change your work ethic. Watch it change your gospel witness for the better. Your happiness, your joy, your hope. Be filled with the Spirit and everything else changes. That's how critical this command is. So let's look at the positive command. The negative, do not be drunk with wine. But the positive is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, there is so much confusion around this command. So much confusion. Some say... This refers to a second indwelling or a second spirit baptism. And that, of course, leads to all kinds of charismatic chaos. That's not what this is talking about. Some treat the Holy Spirit like he's just a refill on gas, like he's an energy drink. You know, you kind of get him in doses and uh, you have some of them. But if you're really spiritually mature, then you're full. You have a lot of them. Maybe not all of them, but you have a lot. He's like this mystical force that you can kind of manipulate and use for spiritual energy. That is not the Holy Spirit. Some just leave him in the mist and the fog. He's too confusing for me. He's a mystery. We can't understand the Holy Spirit. If you know it, then you know it. But if you don't know it, then man, you need to go on a missions trip. Or hey, you should walk through the Sahara Desert and hope that something happens to you. You know, when it's just you alone with God, it's very mystical unknown. That's not it either. Nonsense. Listen, it's all nonsense. All of this is experiential, it's subjective, it's fraudulent, and it is not what the scriptures tell us 
being filled with the Holy Spirit means. Who is the Holy Spirit? First, He is God. He's God. Third person of the Trinity. In Acts chapter 5, Peter says to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He says in verse 4, you have not lied to man, but to God. Very clear statement, who the Holy Spirit is, he is God. Are there multiple baptisms or indwelling of the Spirit? Do you get them at one point and then lose them and then have to get, convince him to come back again? No, no, no. It's not what the scriptures teach. We were all baptized at one time in one spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, one and done. Ephesians 4, 5, one baptism. There is one spirit baptism. This is regeneration of a believer. It happens one time, not multiple times. And the spirit doesn't come and then leave. He's not a temporary indwelling, but look at Jesus' promise in John 14. It says, I'll ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you temporarily. Is that what that says? No, no, the helper will be with you forever. He doesn't come and go. He, he indwells the believer and he's with him forever. You know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. Now Paul goes as far to say this. Anyone in Romans 8, 9, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not in Christ. There's not this uh, middle ground where you're a believer, but I don't have the Spirit yet. No, no, no. You have him or you don't. And so we all have the Holy Spirit. The question is, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you, what Galatians 5 shows us, walking by the Spirit? Look at Galatians 5.16. This helps us to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says again in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. See, the illustration of walking is helpful for us to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This word for being filled is, it could also mean to saturate. It's like the wind that fills a sail and pushes it. It's like the hand going into the glove that moves it. So being led by the Spirit is the same as being filled, is the same as walking. But the illustration of walking in the Christian life is helpful. And Paul has been using this illustration. He, he's told us multiple times, hey, you're walking. You're walking here. Okay, you're, you're either going towards Christ or you're going away from him. But the Christian life is a walk. It should be a progression. There's action and there's movement. And it either pleases the Lord or it doesn't. But it's helpful to picture us walking to understand what it means to be filled. First of all, the first thing to understand what it means to be filled is that it starts with an awareness of his presence. Write that down. Being filled with the Spirit starts simply with an awareness of his presence. You are aware that he is with you as you walk. Jesus left us with these comforting words before he ascended. He said this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that is such a comfort. Jesus says in John 14 that the helper will be with us forever. And in verse 20, this is interesting. 
One of the unique ministries of the Holy Spirit is to uh, help us know that we are in Christ and Christ is with us. In other words, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in you is to make you aware of God's presence. He's with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, just think about how your everyday changes in light of that reality. If God is with you always, in the calm and in the storm, in the closet and in the crowds, when things are really good and when things are really bad, in the work conversation and at home, God is with you. And so on the one hand, that should comfort us greatly, shouldn't it? Amen? God is with me. I could stand up against any giant in this life, any rock, any temptation, because I have the Lord with me. On the other hand, it should stoke fear in us, a healthy fear of God. If God is with me, then I, I should not go down this road. I should not go down this path of destruction. When this temptation comes, I'm going to choose God's way, not my own. So being filled with the Spirit just starts very practical here, simply with being aware of His presence, knowing that He's with you and in you. The second, and really the thrust of this ber- verb, is that being filled with the Spirit is a conscious yielding to His control. It's a conscience yielding to his control. You know what it means to yield, right? You have traffic flow, and if you're the car that's yielding, you come into the flow of traffic. Being filled with the Spirit is yielding to his control. You come underneath the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to do his job. He's going to do his job. He's faithful, he is God, and he never, never messes up. And what is one of the Spirit's jobs? It is to guide us into the truth. That's helpful. So the Spirit is to guide us into the truth. And so when we yield to the Holy Spirit, we come under His guidance. What does that look like practically, though? We're kind of speaking in theory and ideals. What does it look like practically to be filled with the Spirit, to yield to His control? Write these practical steps down. First of all, pray before making a decision. Pray before making a decision. Big decisions, small decisions. Pray this, Lord, I need you to make this decision. By your spirit, please grant me wisdom and clarity on how I should move forward. Very simple prayer, very practical way to yield underneath God's will. How about this? Start your day with Bible reading. A very practical way to be filled with the Spirit that day. What does the Spirit guide us in? Truth. What does the Spirit guide us in? Truth. And what is the truth? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. Right? So you want to yield to the Spirit that day? Come under the truth. Start with the Scriptures. Meditate on them. Dwell on them. And be sure to live by them. Yielding to the Holy Spirit could also mean quickly confessing and repenting of sin. We all fail. We all stumble and fall with our words, with our thoughts, our actions. Yielding to the Holy Spirit means you quickly confess that sin. You bring it quickly to the Lord. You know why? Because one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit in John 16, Jesus says, the Spirit has come to convict the world of sin. So that 
immediate guilt you feel in the moment when you sin? When you fail and you feel just this, oh, I messed up. So Holy Spirit, working alongside your conscience to convict you, yield to the Spirit and quickly take it to God. This last practical step, what it means to yield to the Holy Spirit, to come under His control, is to speak up when He prompts you to evangelize. Speak up when He prompts you to evangelize. If you look through the book of Acts, it's interesting, Acts is the expansion and growth of the early church. You'll see all these instances where the apostles or just, you know, bystanders are are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do they do every time, right after they're filled with the Spirit? They share the gospel. They confess the name of Jesus Christ and they they preach the gospel. So one one of the quick responses of being filled with the Spirit is that you would evangelize. You, you've all been here. I, I've been here many times where you're talking with somebody, maybe a stranger or a neighbor. You come to the realization they don't know Christ and you feel that little prompting in your heart, oh, I should say something. You've been there? I'll confess I've been there and many times I've failed. Where do you think that prompt comes from? You think it's your flesh? You think your flesh is telling you, you better put yourself out there right now. Get uncomfortable, brother, because you're about to share Christ and get pwned. They're going to shame you for sharing the gospel. No, that's not your flesh. It's the Holy Spirit prompting you, stimulating you to do what's right and share Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. Come under His control. Yield to Him. Not to substances or passions or fleshly desires. You know, the evidence of a spirit-filled life is beautiful. Uh, The spirit-filled life is so attractive. Look at Galatians 5, 19 to 23. It's up on the screen. Look at the contrast between the fleshly-driven life and the spirit-filled life. Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be at the end of this passage? Look at verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a pretty ugly life. There are many different consequences to sins like that. Man, that's not the life I want to live. That's not who I want to be. I don't want to be a flesh-driven person. Now, notice the contrast here. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now let me ask you, what kind of employ, employer do you want? Do you want a spirit-filled employer or do you want a flesh-driven employer? A spirit-filled employer. What kind of spouse do you want? You want a spouse that is flesh-driven or spirit-filled? Well, of course, the spirit-filled one. That's more attractive. What kind of friends do you want? Neighbors do you want in your life? The ones who mow their lawn or don't mow their lawn? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the ones who 
are flesh-driven or spirit-filled? Spirit-filled, obviously, right? So who are you going to be? Are you going to live your life by the substance or by the fleshly passions? Are you going to be filled with the Spirit? Live by the Spirit. And you'll not give in to the desires of the flesh. God lives within you, Christian. Put the Holy Spirit in the driver's seat and let Him lead you into God's will. Let Him lead you into wisdom that we've been talking about. Let Him lead you into the light that we've been talking about. Let Him lead you in love. And, I, you know, I, I just say this. This is the Holy Spirit. This is who He is and what He does in the life of a believer. I, you know, I wonder if there are many of you out there who who don't have this power, who don't have this person. And you're wondering why your life's a mess. You wonder why you have all these fleshly reactions in life. You wonder why your life looks more like Galatians 5, 19 to 21 than Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Consider this, test yourself. Do you know Christ? Because remember, Romans 8 says that if you know Christ, then the Holy Spirit is in you. If you do not know Christ, then maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit. The true power of the Christian life doesn't come from you and what you can do. It comes from the Spirit within you and His outworking in your life. So challenge yourself, test yourself. Do I, do I have the Spirit? Do I truly know Christ? And if you don't, you're in the right place this morning. You came to a place, Lord willing, that Spirit-filled a place where the gospel is preached, Jesus Christ knew no sin, though you know sin, he knew no sin, he went to the cross, he died on the cross in our place for our sins, and he rose again from the dead. So that if we believe in him, our sins are paid for, and we have been raised to new life with Christ. You can have that this morning. You can have that gift in Jesus Christ and experience what it is to be filled with the Spirit. And to live spirit-filled, not flesh-driven. Okay, in verses 19 to 21, we see three benefits for the church of spirit-filled living. So spirit-filled living, it's going to benefit your marriage. It's going to make your marriage happier. It's going to make your friendships happier. You might mow your lawn instead of leaving it unmowed. I don't know. There's good results in your life. Listen to this. Being spirit-filled positively affects the church. Being spirit-filled, Christian, benefits us, all of us together. We, we reap the benefits of you coming in those doors spirit-filled. How, how do we benefit? Three ways. Number one, worship. True worship. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Well, look at the result of spirit-filled Christians. They, they address one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. They sing together, make melody to the Lord from the heart. Notice the direction of worship. Where does worship, true worship, come from? It comes from the heart, and it goes where? To God and to others. Here's my point. Worship is upward and outward. It's not inward. 
So many churches, Christian leaders, make much of the worship experience. You've heard about that? We want to create a good worship experience for the Christian. So the Christian walks in with kind of a consumerism attitude. It's all about me, whether I like the music or not, whether I like the preaching or not, whether I feel comfortable or not. No, 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 that's not worship. Worship is upward and outward. It's first about God. It's a sacrifice to God. It is glory to God. And then, interesting, it's for the service of others. It's outward to others. And it benefits others. Spirit-filled people create an aroma of worship to God. Our sacrifices send smoke to heaven that please the nostrils of the Father. And it's for Him. It's not for us. And notice it comes from the heart. It's not about, you know, the religiosity of the exercise or just, you know, going through the motions. uh, David says a similar thing in Psalm 51. He says, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. In other words, religious offerings. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's what the Lord wants. He wants your heart, not your through the motions. When Jesus says this of the people of Israel, he says in John, Matthew 15, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are very far from me. Let me ask you a convicting question. Do you come in here and sing with your lips, yet your heart is very far from God? Let me tell you something. It is going to be difficult to have your heart in the right place when you walk through those doors if you do it in the flesh. If you're distracted by a difficult week, if you're flustered because you're late, or if you're paranoid because of secret sin in your life, or if you're self-conscious about how you look when you sing. But, listen, if you walk through those doors spirit-filled, prayed up, read up, filled with the word, sin confessed, God and others focused, you'll have a much different worship experience. You'll not just experience worship, but like striking a match, you're going to produce it and inflame this place. And you'll see the Lord change our church when we become more God-focused and others-focused and not so much ourselves-focused. This is spirit-filled living and what it produces in the church. Number two, thankfulness. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the direction of our thanks is to God and it's by means of Jesus Christ in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the modifiers there. Give thanks always and for everything. So you have the occasion for thankfulness and you have the circumstances. One word can change your attitude, change your outlook, change your vibe. Thankfulness. She gives thanks always. The Spirit-filled Christian, she gives thanks always. There's never an occasion that justifies ungratefulness. That means in times of trial, in times of blessing. 
always. That means when she wakes up and when she lies down, when she goes to work and when she's home. She gives thanks always. And he, the spirit-filled man, gives thanks for everything. Everything. No person or circumstance that comes into your life justifies complaining. Oh, how often do we complain? We whine about everything. And I would say, you know, I see it all in my kids, but apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I'm a complainer, a whiner. How ungrateful are we? Oh, my spouse. Oh, my coworker. Oh, my kids. Oh, this work. So on and so forth. The spirit-filled Christian is not a complainer. But in every circumstance, in everything, including when they receive gifts or when they receive discipline, when they have the pay raise or the pay cut, when there's nice people in your life or difficult people, you are thankful in everything. If you are generally, and I'm preaching to myself here, if you're generally ungrateful, discontent, whining, complaining, you have a very small view of God and a very exaggerated view of your circumstances. You've put God down here and your circumstances up here. Flip the script. If you're truly spirit-filled, that means you're aware of God's presence in your life. You're aware that he's in control of everything, even the bad stuff. And that you're yielding to his will. You're being thankful because he's working in your life. And even though you don't have control, you're glad he does. And so you're thankful. We should be able to say with the Apostle Paul, he says, I could be content in every circumstance. He says, I know how to be brought low and how to be brought up. He says, I know what it's like to be in plenty and in hunger. He knows what I know it's like to be in abundance and in need. I can be content in all things through him who strengthens me. You know that passage. We should be thankful. Last point here, the last result of spirit-filled believers in the church is that They're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you see that in verse 21? Submitting to one another. Uh Uh-oh, husbands. Do you know that this verse comes before the next one? Who's the one another in verse 21? All believers, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Having this attitude of submitting to one another. And then what does verse 22 say? Wives, submit to your own husbands. I know so many husbands that love to jump to 22. Like, let me show you where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. They skip over 21. So there's some way, husbands, and this applies to all of us, that we defer to our spouses. There are ways where we submit to them in a sense of revering them, putting their wants, their desires above our own. We submit to one another. It's not just for wives and husbands. We, we defer to one another in worship. We meet one another's needs. We consider one another as more important than ourselves. Isn't that the attitude that we're to have in Christ? This word for submitting means to literally place oneself under another. So this attitude and this submitting to one another is one of deference. I defer, brother. I defer, sister to your wisdom, to your insight, for your good, to your will, to your want, to your desire, before my own. That's the attitude we ought to have. And it's not 
strange to Christ. Christ doesn't ask us to do something that he himself is unwilling to do. What did the Lord do? Well, he submitted his will to that of his fathers, didn't he? He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So if our Lord and Savior, our master, the one we follow, was willing to submit, place himself underneath others, how much more should we? I haven't been married long, but I know one of the secrets. It's to be humble and listen. Listen. Listen to your spouse and be humble. Place yourself underneath them. Listen to your wives, husbands. Listen. Not with a fake, I'm kind of there, but really watching the sports game, but a genuine concern for her and what she needs and what she wants. Submit to her in ways. Defer to her. And watch the Lord bless your marriage with that kind of attitude. Now, this is a transitional verse that will lead us into 22 next week. So wives, there is an exhortation we'll get to about submitting in your role to your husband. And we'll cover that next week. But understand this, a spirit-filled Christian is one who defers and puts himself or herself underneath others. Puts others' needs above their own. So how will you live, Christian? Will you live by the substance, by the bottle, by the flesh, by your impulses, by your passions, or will you live by the Spirit? Let's close in prayer and we'll go to a time of communion. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for your wisdom from your word. It is all good. Lord, we want to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. We want to apply the text to our lives. Help us to do that this week. I I pray that we would be painfully aware of your presence at all times. We would know that you're with us. God, I pray that we would also consciously yield to your spirit. We would yield to the truth. We would yield to your direction, to your will. When a decision comes up, when temptations come, we would choose God's way, not our own way. Help us to live that out and apply it. And we give all you all the glory, Lord, because you deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen.